We're live. Hi, Anne. Episode Hello, eight. Hi. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I feel like so much has happened in, since episode seven. It's been many weeks since our last episode. Um, we've just been rolling with the punches, right? <laughs> lots of, lots of drama and lots of busyness, lots of good stuff, lots of challenging stuff. But today, one of the reasons I'm really interested in this topic, and I love this idea of what kind of feeling bad are you committed to? <laughs> and you had a, you had a good ch- chuckle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had a good chuckle a minute ago when you read the, when you read that, um, is because if we're going to just dive right into real life riff, this is something I've really been working with in the last couple of weeks is getting into an absolute like overflow point of like, I am just not willing to feel shitty. Like I just, I am not, I've got to stop allowing myself being willing to feel bad and in certain ways around certain, you know, aspects of my life. And I started listening to, um, Gay Hendricks is an author that Anne and I have um, spent a lot of time, you know, (laughs) with as a resource. And he's written several books, but the three that are top of mind right now that we kind of wanted to jump off from um, was the very first book is called um, The Big Leap. And that's a book we, yeah, there it is. (laughs) She's got it. (laughs) Um, I feel like this came to us through one of our mentors, um, a year and a half ago or so. And then, um, he has another book called the genius zone or the zone of genius. Mm-hmm. I can never remember which one it is. And then randomly I found in my, um, audible library, a book called conscious luck, or I think that's what it's called. And I don't actually know why I picked it up because I don't really believe in luck. And I've never even thought of myself as lucky or not lucky. Like it's just not language I ever even consider in terms of my life experience. But I think I was just looking for something to support me. And one of the things that Gay Hendricks does well is this talks about this idea of commitment. And what I love most about it is that he doesn't just talk about clarifying commitment. He talks about recommitment, that any commitment takes a continuous recommitment. And so I'm drawn to his work and and blah, blah, blah. And I'm listening and listening. And it dawns on me because he's talking about committing to being lucky. And he explains it, you know, in a very tangible kind of real life way, not a woo-woo, like, you know, right place, right time kind of luck. And he's saying, you know, committing to being lucky and go, goes on and goes on. And then he says, you can't you can't fulfill a commitment unless you first unravel or let go of or move through what is stopping you from that commitment, from achieving that commitment. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me that I am actually really committed to feeling bad in a lot of ways, (laughs) which is so interesting. And he does not talk about that specifically, but for me, it was like, you know, the neurons connecting and realizing like, especially over a course of a very short period of time, like the two weeks, this was a couple weeks ago. I realized like, I'll just, 
be really honest and out myself that I'm really committed to um, being the one that like the weight of the world rests on my shoulders. And I think of that as like kind of being a martyr, you know, like poor me, I'm always the one I'm the capable, I like have a story about being the capable one and nobody supports me because I'm so capable and they think I'm going to be fine and I don't ever need anything from anybody. And I'm like, oh, that, that actually, that just, I'm so committed to that story as I reflect in different areas of my life that like, it just makes me feel bad when I believe that. And so I thought, I, I, I'm actually much more committed to feeling bad than to feeling good. (laughs) And, you know, we go, it ebbs and flows. It's not just all, all or nothing, right? Depends on our life circumstances and, and all of that. But that's really for me, why this topic came up as I continue to explore the new book and go back to some, the other two books and look at this idea of commitment and recommitment. And so that's really what I'm working on. So this whole podcast is selfishly <laughs> about me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but it is it is a really powerful shift. Um, and one of the things I really want to lift up for everybody, you know, as we talk today, Anne, is how do you feel into your commitments, good and bad, right? And if how do you feel into... Like, how do you use your body experience to let go of the feeling bad commitments? Mm -hmm. And how do you use your body experience to recommit to the feeling good? So that's what I'm working on. And it's actually really working. (laughs) I I can see it. I can feel it. I can feel it through the digital space. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's really working. Chantel and I, we, we were actually live together in person about two weeks ago or a week ago. I guess it was oh my gosh, two a week, weeks ago. Uh, yeah, 10, so fast, 10 days, but, not quite. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and and you were you were feeling it. You were feeling the not oh so good God. at that moment. But yeah. you, you know, you were always amazing to, to be with. But I mean, I had never quite experienced that part of you before. Um, yeah. I was so, in the muck, man for a good yeah. two weeks, just could not find my way out. It happens, people. <laughs> it, yeah, it will happen. Right. Even when you got to yeah. put on an, you know, a brave face and be outward facing. Sometimes really mm. a lot of inner inner work happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a lot about me, Anne. What's, <laughs> what's your real life riff? Well, I love this piece <laughs> that you're talking about with stories. Um, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of stories, I think, within the embodied business world. Mm. (laughs) So I'm going to, there's many types of an embodied business. I'm going to just take the, for me, sort of the easiest stance, which is if you happen to have a studio, right, that teaches movement that might be mindful or meditation or you're and there's a lot of stories there that I held on to for many years, which was you can't make money in this industry. Mm. It's really hard to find teachers in mm. this industry. Um, there's so much competition. Like there's a lot of story around that I think it's a lot of times- hard. 
yeah, it's hard and it's scarcity minded. And the only way that you make money in this industry is if you're a greedy studio owner or if you throw your desire for good client results out the window or Mm. um, there's no way to kind of find that balance. And it's really funny, like, as I think about that, um, as challenging as it is to find teachers, I have had a very, um, very good time finding them. I mean, and we've had a labor shortage even pre-COVID in the county that I lived in. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, people talk about it now, but I'm like, we're at 2% employment <laughs> in the county that I was in, in California, in um, which is Sonoma County in like 2018. I mean, it's been hard for a very long time. And I've always been really committed to saying, you know, I, I really want a good team. And this is after, I think, a story which many of us have had in this industry of really having a very, very bad experience. And so how do I change this w- w- with with a private contractor that left me feeling, um, well, I'll tell that story. I'll make it quick. But I was Yeah, do east. it. Yeah. I was, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was back east. I was getting my, my master's degree. And I was, you know, at this time, it was 2010. And I'd run the studio since 02. And I'd had a teacher who had been a client for many years. I had worked with her. I'd taught her, her teenage uh, dance students, Pilates. Um, then she became a teacher at my studio. Um, I trained her. Like I gave her discounts and deals because she was a dance teacher who couldn't make a lot of money, right? Like all the things, right? Um, and then when I left, um, I, you know, I, I I put her in charge of of some some responsibilities at the studio, uh, such as you know writing a newsletter and things like that. And then it was within March of 2011, I was, you know, going to graduate in, um, in May. And she sent me an email saying, I'm bringing in my resignation of 30 days. And I said, Oh, okay, well, yeah, tell me about that. Oh, you know, I'm going down, down the way to another town and I'm going to start working in a studio there. Okay. Um, can you tell me the name of the studio? Oh no, no, they really want to keep things private. Oh, you know, I, I, I can't let people know what's going on. Oh, okay. You know, all right. Yeah. Okay, fine. I'm going to get it. Thank you for teaching with me. I really love it. It's been wonderful. Okay. So I'm going to line up this other teacher to take over your entire schedule. Okay, good. Cause all the, the students are going to transfer to this other teacher. Well, I think it was, I don't know, the day, the night that they were to show up, I get a call from the other teacher saying none of the students are here. And then I said, Okay. And so then I called the student and the student said, oh, yes, yes, Deb, excuse me, the teacher (laughs) said that you were going to call. And, um, but yeah, she's teaching out of her home right down the street here. And we all went with her. And I just was like, I'm 3000 miles away. She just took, you know, I don't know, 40% of my studio revenue. I'm trying to focus on graduating. And I, I, she was not only a teacher, but I trained her and like gave her so much. It was just, you know, heart ripped out on a plate and just, you know, and here I am trying to be an experience of like growth and like, and, and having a very positive. And so 
I know I'm not alone. I know that's a really yeah, common, it's a, such a common yeah. common common thing in this industry. You know, well, I, common, and I common, want to sympathize. Yeah, <laughs> I want to just in many say industries. <laughs> yeah, well, let's just pause. Just like let's put brackets in here for a second. Yeah, it's it's common enough, but it's actually not that common. And here's what I think happens: is it is so heart wrenching. It is so like feeling taken advantage of. It is so difficult and that it just, it holds so much weight and so much space that it is what we all talk about with each other. But I actually do not think it is as common as it feels like because there is just so much emotional balance to it, right? Yeah, because I've had many other amazing instructors who've left on the most amazing terms gracefully and with yes. respect and that's it that's the thing like you know i'm going to let you finish i promise but it's like are we committed to the belief that that people are crappy and dishonest and greedy or are we committed to like maybe what is more true is that people are really good and generous and maybe she just is was unskillful and ill-equipped and you know like feel sorry for that. That sucks. It must suck to live your life that way. But I really think it's interesting how we end up committed to those kinds of stories. It's because Mm -hmm. they're so difficult. It's like going through a bad breakup or somebody, you know, I mean, just being unjust or dishonest is, is really heartbreaking. And so it just, it's fascinating, right? Because for me as a studio owner and a mentor of teachers from all over the world and country, I, it's not, an, it's like I hear it on occasion, but it is not the prevalent story. It just mm. happens to be the one that if it has happened to us, we're really committed to. And this is maybe a topic for another podcast, but you and I both know the, the, the literal, like, emotional weight and and weight in the brain of something that is strongly emotionally charged, right? That's the emotional balance and how it gets plugged into our implicit memory as something that is much bigger than everything else, right? So how, how we, how we are emotionally experiencing a thing will, it will take up more, more room in our brain or less room. And so it becomes a way of like, our compass, right? Which I, which I find really fascinating, but in any case, that's a whole different, you know, topic. Damn amygdala. I know. <laughs> it's, it's a thing that is fear-based that heightens the, the, your memories. If it's true. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. We should um, definitely be talking about that at some point. Yeah. I just feel like, so that story, you know, that was a hard story for me to like, I'm going to be taken advantage of again. You know, again, I was yeah. a young studio owner. The, this woman was probably, you know, not of my generation. Um, I'm going to keep getting taken advantage of because they don't like a young studio owner telling them what to do or having more, I don't know, power. Like I, there was just a lot of stories that I had. Yeah, a around lot. That. And yeah. It, yeah, it was hard for me. But then I think too, like that's not the case anymore. I have an amazing team that I absolutely love and adore. And that came from saying, I'm committed. This is a commitment. I'm committed and recommitting 
to building a good team because I am just not going to tolerate that again. And I don't think partially to what Chantel was saying, I don't think our industry is full of a bunch of people like that. Yeah, <laughs> We just need uh, to call in the people and get clear on what it is that we want and commit and recommit. And so part yes. of the way that I did commit to that is I actually sought out a business coach that specialized in team building because yes. I was like, I, I don't want that again. And yeah. I haven't worked in corporate America. I have never taken a team building course. I have no idea how to build a team. Like I want to do it right. You know, that's just kind of the way I'll, let me go learn about it for a little bit. And I've implemented a bunch of strategies and it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I could almost pinpoint, um, the shift, you know, in, in you and your yeah, life. Yeah, because we were working together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your dedication to like, it can be different and I'm going to, I'm going to be proactive and I'm going to be active and I'm, this, the action that we take it, it is the second part of the recommitment, right? It's not just the feeling of the commitment and the recommitment and choosing that, but it's the action then that we take. And I remember, I mean, I, I feel like, I've had the honor of watching you grow and build your team and the way that you nurture them and the way that you prioritize them um, has really been very meaningful. I have a colleague, you and I have a colleague who also happens to be one of my dearest friends in the whole world um, who was in the yoga industry for many, many years before she was, you know, now in a different industry massively successful. I hope that we'll have her on the podcast at some point, Corey Martinez. Um, some of you have worked with her through us um, in the master's program, the fellowship and whatnot. But um, I remember uh, this same conversation with her, like being burned by teachers um, and really feeling committed to the story or the feeling that people were going to always put themselves above the community or be dishonest or not leave gracefully. And I remember when I was, I've always been oriented toward team building. And I did that in my studio, my second studio, the large studio. And I always just really felt committed to creating a culture of, of inclusivity and, and generosity and education. And I remember having early conversations with Corey, um, and it was a real difficult buy-in for her to feel like that was something that could happen um, because she was really committed to these these experiences reoccurring that she had had with teachers who, who were not um, of that mind, you know, who hadn't done things well and had not been um, graceful about their exiting or transitioning. But I think... It just go, it's just to say that I think this is a thing that we struggle with, particularly in the movement industry, uh, health and wellness, because we are often very much client based, but it's not, it's not, you know, exclusive to us by any means. The thing I really am interested in talking about today, um, though, is just having a commitment is not enough, right? Like I really, I am really more and more a strong believer in, and we do this in our work together in, in the embodied course creation program, um, and our other work with our teachers and our leaders is to get clear about what it is that you want, but then you have to go back and get clear about what's standing in your way. Mm 
And I think Mm -hmm. that's why I was oriented to understanding or experiencing for myself like, oh, the reason I don't feel good is because I'm committed to this inner dialogue of self-deprecation or self-judgment or being the martyr or not feeling supported. And it's like none of those, all of those things are just in conflict with how I actually want to feel. So no matter how much I say I'm committed to feeling differently or achieving something, there's very low likelihood that I'll get there if I am holding an opposing commitment that is habitual and more rooted right over time that I've been practicing for a long time. So for me, um, and this is one of the things I love about Gay Hendricks' work is that it's very much, uh, he always brings it back to the body and he always Mm -hmm. is offering um, body centered like inquiry to test or um, confirm, right, whether we're on the right track. And with commitment, I think this is really powerful. And um, we had a call with our uh, UDL expert, Universal Design for Learning. We have an expert that we work with who we are also hoping to have. A, actually, we'll have her on the podcast in, in June. June. Yeah, just a, yeah. Just a, yeah, just a few weeks. Um, she was sharing a clip with us. Uh, that had to do with motivation engagement in in movement specifically because she was showing it to our movement teachers. And I remember thinking, what I really want this person to say, the educator, is how do I feel? How is it that I want to feel about my choice, right? Like I'm choosing to work out and sweat and work really hard and I might give up, but it's the feeling I'm committed to having by working out that I really want to be in touch with. So I think it works a little bit like this. Taking time to feel the commitment to feeling bad. Like what, what are you, what are your most frequent negative experiences? right? What are the negative beliefs or thoughts or stories that you have? And if you're listening to this, you've probably familiar enough with this kind of inquiry that it wouldn't take you long to write a few things down. And if you're listening on replay or on iTunes or Spotify, pause and just take a second and notice like, yeah, what are the reoccurring stories that maybe you hear yourself telling somebody else or saying to yourself? And then how do those things feel in your body? Like I'm really clear, like I have three main points of like stuckness in my body. It's my throat, it's my chest, and it's like my deep low belly. And those places in my body, I hold different kinds of negativity, right? Or negative stories. And it's important, I think, to allow yourself to feel that because it's like this, right? And you know, uh, you know this in motivation science, we talk about something called discrepancy. And so what motivates us intrinsically, internally, right, from within ourselves is having an experience of where we are and then also having an experience of, of where we could go or, you know, so that's point A and point B. So the difference between the two, like the stronger the difference between point A and point B, the stronger the motivation and so that's that's something I've been working with in the last few weeks is like, 
I one I can identify just and I've practiced it right. It's not always easy at first, and taking pen to paper is often really helpful, right? To write down like what are you experiencing? Is it vague? Is it you know shallow? Is it kind of diffused or? Um, and does it get more poignant or more clear over time as you check in? But when you're having a, a, a negative experience, name a thing, right? Anxiety, frustration, irritation, annoyance. <laughs> Those are the ones that are always at the top of my list. Um, what does it feel like in your body? And then are you like holding on to that? Like, want, you know, like keeping a hold of that? Because... Because I do that, right? We all do that when we get like, I get like that, particularly around injustice. When I feel like somebody has done me or somebody I love an injustice, I hold on to that really tightly because I keep reliving it, right? I keep telling the story. I tell everybody I know this, this thing happened. And I just, my body, I can like feel my body suffering because I'm like, every time I tell the story, I'm like recommitting to feeling badly. Does that make sense? I feel like that. I wish I was in front of an audience of people who could nod their heads and tell me. <laughs> I will nod my head and tell okay. you. <laughs> and but then, it, so that's only part of it, right? We have to then say, if I don't want to, like, it's okay to be fired up about injustice, right? We should be, but we can't actually take positive action from that place. Like it, it, it does give us, there's a tension, a tone that's important in that, right? That's part of like the kind of the healthy part of the fight or flight system and the nervous system, right? We want tone, we want action. But if we're just angry and bitter and mean, then what kind of action can we actually take that, that has a positive outcome, especially if we have to interact <laughs> with somebody else? Um, so then it's like, well, what's the flip side, right? How do I, this is a question I used to ask my teachers a long time ago is, uh, or to pose to themselves, like what's the, what, what is the kind of teacher you want to be? Or what's the kind of person you want to be? And so your own mind in your own mind, it's, I'm the kind of pe- person who, right. I'm the kind of person who can take action against injustice, but with not from a place of anger, right? That would be like a way of framing it. Like, how do I take action against injustice, but from a place of like full heartedness and determination or tenacity, which is a very different experience in my body than hatred and anger and, and, you know, getting retribution or whatever those kinds of things that might be associated. So, then if you're, what are you committed to and what does that feel like? Right? Like as an example for me recently, it's been about, I want to be committed to really loving my life as it is. Hmm. Like, because I have always historically, and I've even had told this story, right? Is I feel generally dissatisfied. And then I'm like, and then I use that as a strength, right? My general dissatisfaction with everything is what drives me to learn, to grow, to be better, as if the two were mutually exclusive. 
and I'm just like calling BS on my own self because it's not true, right? I don't have to be feeling badly dissatisfied in order to have drive, tenacity, to love learning. And so that for me has been like, well, what does that feel like to be committed to loving my life as it is? How does it feel like in my body? Because then when I'm having the opposite of that, I can then tap into a different feeling experience because I don't know about you, but it's often easier for me to change the experience in my body than it is to change my mind, right? I can't just decide. Like, it's not really, I mean, it is and it isn't. Well, I just think you want the, I would say you want the flexibility, right? Yeah. (laughs) So that you can mm -hmm. decide like, you know, changing my mind isn't going to work for me today, but maybe changing my body state will. Yes. Yes. You know, I think like, because I think for some people it might be, it might be the flip. It might be easier yeah. to change their mind than it is to change their body state. Um, and I and maybe depending that. on the situation, right? Yeah, depending on where you are in human development of your life, <laughs> like what's going on and how stressed you are and all the things, right? And so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I like. I'm always like, I'm always looking like for how how can we make things go both ways, right? Yes, so, I so love that, that you. I'm like oddly for some reason I'm just drawn to that um but I I love how you're really describing a good way of discrepancy there you're like Mm -hmm. if I so I think too because Gay Hendricks talks about that he talks about that many of us have an intolerability for feeling good it's it's hard because we have these stories that we've created because And he talks about when you're young, you might have a bad thing that happens or an experience, Mm -hmm. and then we develop a story around it. And so when we feel bad, then we take that story with us and it adds and it morphs and it shifts sort of through the years, but there's, there's a core to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like with the discrepancy, and I think, I think I'm getting this idea from his book because it's been a little while, but I think, or if nothing, if nothing else, you reminded me of it, but he talks about like tolerating feeling good. Like, how, are you able to tolerate the joy, and how can you extend your it, feelings of joyfulness? Yes, and so, expanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, expanding them. And so I, you were just jogged my memory of all this, and like, I remember I was explicitly trying to do that with my kids, and so, you know, we were feeling joy. And, you know, we all have family histories and stories. And I think that there's a little bit of a story in my family to, oh, well, joy might not last. So let's, let's, let's put a lid on it. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> you know? I think that's so probably I, common. I, yeah. And I, and I, I, I'm sure other people have experienced something like that. They may, or they've seen other people experience that. So I'm like, I don't want my kids to have that sensation around joy. So how can I? when we're in joy, like let's stay in the joy. Um, and for me, that's, that's a little more challenging. I think it's a little easier for, for my partner, my husband, it's like just mm. in the joy. Um, 
But I, I, I think I, it's easier for men in general. I mean, not to be, or, or, or <laughs> you know, anybody with lots of testosterone. I mean, not to be gender biased, but I, I <laughs> my personal experience is that that side of the gender spectrum, they often it's easier for them to stay in that space because they're they're not worried. I don't know. That is my my personal experience of the difference between men and women. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm just trying to think about like this way of how can I, because when I'm supporting them staying in joy, I'm absolutely supporting myself. <laughs> you know, yeah. I want more joy. Like I want to extend that feeling of, because first off, like there's a, the first feeling you have of joy, right? It first comes up and it's like, I think with most feelings, like it, it emerges, right? It's an emergent mm-hmm. effect. And all of a sudden you're having the feeling mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh, well, how, how long can I stay in this feeling? You know? And I mm-hmm. think like, it's very easy, like to stay in like rumination, right? To have a feeling and then like keep having all these thoughts that extend the feeling of distress or worry and to say, well, how can I extend this feeling of joy and to understand that it's going to feel uncomfortable and unnatural to extend that feeling of joy, even if I'm feeling almost like I keep having joy. I'm talking about feeling. I'm talking about Mary Kondo or something. But <laughs> um, but I um. But the point is, is that yeah, like and being okay with tolerating, or I sometimes I think of Amy Cuddy and like fake it till you make it. Like mm-hmm. when I'm first extending joy, I'm like, okay, I'm thinking about the joy, and I'm consciously thinking of extending it. So is this really joy? No. But my children are really <laughs> experiencing joy, right? They're extending their joy, right? So it's like I have to be okay with, with that process, and um, yeah, and I and I and we see it when our clients leave the studio, or you feel it in your body when you've had a great workout, you know, yeah. or or you're leading your team and you've had this awesome meeting where you're going to get a bunch of stuff done, or you've accomplished something, or you know that that sense of. Um, of joy is, is, is something that I think it's important to tap into it in our bodies. And I think, again, from that Pilates perspective, or from a movement based perspective, a lot of times you might say something like, well, how's your body feeling today? Mm. And I feel like 90 times, 90 90% of the time, we're, uh, when I used to ask that question, I was generally asking it from, tell me what's wrong in your body today versus mm. share with me what's right in your body today. Ooh, what a great thing to tease out. <laughs> I was going to say we're asking it typically uh, if you're a movement educator you're asking it often from a musculoskeletal perspective, but it, rather than an emotional kind of a nervous system state or state of being perspective, mm-hmm. which I think mm-hmm. is also true, but I think you totally hit the nail on the head. I think we're we're expecting the the onslaught of like the bullet pointed list of what's not going well. Well, my elbow's acting up. I slept weird on my head. It's like, okay, and now I'll design my workout to support the problems. <laughs> yeah. And isn't that interesting? I want to go back to what you said on, mm-hmm. it's like when, because we are taught whether through like explicitly or when it's nurtured in us culturally or societally that, that joy with nothing less. Right. And, and we tend to hammer on like nothing good lasts, joy doesn't last, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. This kind of um, 
uh, perspective. And so if you're having joy, all of a sudden, what interrupts joy is the fear of the loss of the joy. And just enter any positive experience, <laughs> right? It, but it, but it's it's interesting because it's there's a parallel too in what you just said. When we we even though we're like the uplifters, we're the educators, we're the like I help people's bodies feel better, or I help them feel better in their lives, or I help them feel better in their work, or you know in their businesses. There's still like, we're still orienting ourselves around, tell me what's wrong and let me help you solve the problem. Let me fix it. Right. Because it's almost like if we talk about what's right, it's almost like, well, we can't talk about that too much because that's temporary and it doesn't mean anything. And then I'm not getting my money's worth just as an example. Right. Or like, what do I do with that? Oh, why am I here? I guess. (laughs) Right. Right. Like joy is not enough of a motivator or something because- you know, it's not something to be changed or fixed. But this idea of like immediately having a positive experience and, and then potentially that positive experience being hampered in some way by the fear of the loss of it. And I think that I have two things to say about that. One is immediately that puts you in a fight or flight, a vulnerable nervous system experience, right? Where you are all of a sudden in some way physiologically no longer feeling safe, even in your joyful experience. And it is, that's real tricky. You know, that's really tricky. And I think the answer is three deep breaths. That's it. That's it. Because what the nervous system needs to be told is, it's okay, you're safe. Like literally, there's all kinds of research, right? We know about the relaxation response. We know about the triggering of the parasympathetic nervous system with three nice deep breaths. And in my mind, from a nervous system perspective, what that does is like, here's our joy. Here's our joy experience. Here's the fear of the loss of the joy. (laughs) Oh, bless you. (laughs) That was good muting. Good job. And then you take three and then all of a sudden we're like, I'm having joy, but I don't feel safe right? So then we can't expand joy. We can't prolong joy, or we just can't fully appreciate it, even if it's fleeting. But with three deep breaths, all of a sudden, you literally create enough space in in your nervous system state to like, to, to expand. That is how you expand. The, the, it's really just that breath, it's just going to create space. It seems like an oversimplification, but it really is not. And maybe it takes some practice because it depends on how committed you are to feeling bad. Now, that's another thing that I want you to think about is if you're like, this is baloney, three breaths is never going to make me feel better. I'm betting you're really committed to feeling bad. <laughs> right? It's like, yeah, your, your mind and attention can't even be open to the positive experience. Just, just noticing, I want to just like ask you to notice, I don't, I don't need to be right about any of it, but I want you to notice just what we do and what we say to stay committed to feeling bad. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking this in the, in relationship to chronic pain. And this is something that I've worked with in my studio for many, many years. um, Mm -hmm. And also something I've experienced personally and it's not, there's a lot of nuance to, well, are you, 
it's not, I'm not making the argument, are you committed to your pain? But I, I do want to tease apart some of the things that people say. So sometimes like there's a, a very large saying within the pain management community of creating positive movement experiences. And when you have a positive movement experience that is outside your, your a pain state experience, then, then, then that creates the discrepancy so that you believe a, well, you don't always have to feel this way, whether the feeling is muscular skeletal or the nervous system state around a bad feeling of nervous system, the bad muscular skeletal system feeling, but that's all blended, right? Because if you're at a higher stress rate, your pain rate's going to go up, right? Because of mm-hmm. the, but I'm, I'm mentioning something called the biopsychosocial model of pain, but I just want to circle this back to a positive movement. So you'll hear this many times with people within the pain field, um, allowing your students to have a positive movement experience. So A, that works because of the discrepancy, mm-hmm. but B, we want to make sure from an educator standpoint that that positive movement experience is translated outside of their time with you. So mm-hmm. how can a person experience who's experiencing discomfort have a positive movement experience outside of the studio with you at 10 o'clock on Thursday mornings when it's sunny out and there's not a lot of humidity, right? Because like people can get really specific and they can yes. have a big story about when it's, when they can feel good. Yes. <laughs> and so here's an example that I've seen in, in my studio over the years of working with people where there's a, a big story around well, what teacher can I feel good with? Yes. What movements can I feel good with? What day and time can I feel good with? Well, mornings yeah. are hard for me. My body hasn't warmed up till three. 11 a.m. is just not going to cut it. Like I, these are experiences I've had with um, people. And I don't want to dishonor their experience, but I do think we as teachers and people committed to supporting people who are working with those symptoms and with those diagnoses of a chronic pain is how can we, not addressing the, the psycho part, <laughs> the psychological mm-hmm. part, which is a story that we might have, a pain story. And so this is really actually brought up in some of the work um, by Laura Mosley, and he has a whole book that he's written called Painful Yarns. Um, but there, you might have never have pain and might never have discomfort in your body, but you also have that, have, you may have very, like insidious stories that, that mm-hmm. allow you to stay in a place of, um, of, of commitment to mm-hmm. lack of achievement or lack of opportunity due to X, Y, Z factors in your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we can see it a lot of different ways, personally, professionally. Um, and a lot Physically. of times the body is, is holding the answers, right? Or at least it's telling us, right? Mm-hmm. And so are we paying attention to when are things feeling good? And when are things feeling, um, can we tolerate joy? Can we tolerate joy in our body? Can we tolerate joy in our body outside of our teacher's watchful eye? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, big questions. Yeah. 
Um, it's just making me think of the thing that I have often said, especially in the nervous system work is like that there are some things you just can't think your way through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For me, the realization recently is like, I don't want to think about it this way. I don't want to believe this story, but I can't, I don't know intellectually how to not think that or believe that. And I think that's particularly true when we are stuck in some kind of, you know, whether it's emotional pain or it's physical pain, right? With pain story or pain cycle, it's very difficult. But what what is what is the entry point then for you to create that space? For me, it was I can I can just take a moment and start to identify how I want to feel in my body differently. Because the body experience in those couple weeks for me was really intensely negative. Um, and I think that's where it started was I don't know how to stop the thinking, but I can shift the body experience. And when I was able to shift the body experience to a more pleasant one or locate, right? It's not even really, let me offer this. It's not about like morphing something. It's about, <laughs> we're not, it's like non-dualistic, but we're holding the experience, like multiple experiences all the time, right? So how can I find, can I find a, a, a seed or an inkling of a positive body experience? And then can I breathe into that? And can I expand that? And, and then maybe it, then maybe I give it a name. Maybe I can identify it as peace or joy or quiet or calm. And I, I know that in, in my work that I've done with folks, sometimes it's like searching to find a positive experience in the body is not possible. So we look for a neutral experience. Right. And then we see if we can expand a neutral experience. So it's a, it's a vagueness. It's an openness. It's a not good, not bad. It's just a, I'm aware of there's a space in my body that is not hurting or not feeling emotional pain. And then we, we, and then really three deep breaths. It's the beginning because not only does it start to shift like physiologically very truly start to shift the nervous system so that the nervous system begins to feel safer. Then we're just creating more room for a different, a different state of experience, whether that starts in our mind or that starts in our body. So this is such a rich conversation. Let's recap really quickly. The author's name that we're highlighting today is Gay Hendricks and has his the Big Leap book. Um, he wrote another book called The Genius Zone. I could not have that right. It's the zone. I think it's called The Genius Zone. Um, and then another book that we've talked about today is called Conscious Luck. Um, that's the book I'm listening to right now that I'm really enjoying. And the invitation uh, for you all today is just to begin to notice whether from an intellectual perspective or a body perspective, whichever comes first, but both, what, what, what are you committed to? Like, how are you committed to feeling bad? And, 
and how can you commit and recommit consistently to feeling better differently, right? And so um, I'd really love to hear what your thoughts are. And you can, if you're watching live or you're watching on replay in the Facebook group, you can drop us your comments and questions. You can also reach out to us. Um, we now have a podcast email, um, which in the moment, I don't have any idea what it is. It's uh, something really good that talks about, <laughs> I'll drop it in the comments, but we do have an email for heaven's sakes. Um, I just don't recall what it is. It's a Gmail account. Um, I'll post it and it's in the, it's on the website, but let us know what you're thinking about this and, and what your experiences are. And if you have any additional insights or resources, we always love to expand our own learning and our perspective. Um, and as always, just appreciate your time and kind attention. Thanks, Anne. This is fun. Thank you. Yeah. It's an awesome, good to awesome, connect. I know such a great topic. All right, everybody take good care. Well, as always, we'd like to say a big thank you for your time and attention. We know how precious it is. We love hanging out with you and serving this amazing community of inspired leaders and educators who desire to make a bigger impact and bring their whole selves to this awesome party. We hope you are leaving feeling a little inspired, refreshed, maybe even excited and a little bit giddy. The absolute sweetest and most powerful thing you can do to support this not-for-profit, minimally sponsored podcast is to tell us how much you love us. And there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can leave us your comments and reviews on iTunes or YouTube. Both are better. And if you didn't know we have a YouTube channel, now you do. Or by sending us the occasional love letter to embodiedbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you'll keep asking, how do I want my business and my life to feel?